Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts, Jackie, and I'm here with my two good friends, Rahul and Alex. Guys, I don't really know how to introduce this episode today. It's episode 100, and so we should be celebrating, but I don't know if this is the end of an era, maybe a thank you speech. I, I don't know where to go, but Alex, maybe you can shed some light on what's going on because I'm a little bit puzzled. Yeah, it is, it is quite the day uh, for Chelsea fans. We had an eventful, eventful last 24 hours, I guess you could say. Um, coming off this uh, Carabao Cup narrow defeat, um, which I think had a lot of mixed emotions uh, surrounding it, we then awoke to the news today that Roman Abramovich had decided to sell Chelsea and had officially requested bids from potential suitors all over the world, um, anyone interested in buying Chelsea from him, um, and that he's, he's no longer seeming to want to be the owner. Now, obviously, as I'm sure we'll get into, uh, that move has sort of been forced upon him to some degree. Uh, there's definitely a lot of external pressure that led to it. But then in the midst of this crazy day, we then also had an FA Cup tie, um, that almost got overshadowed by all this all this crazy news. Um, and we did emerge victorious there, uh, though it wasn't necessarily a convincing performance. So uh, just what a day it's been for Chelsea fans everywhere. This is, this is something else. <laughs> Rahul, what can you add to this? Because like I said, I'm puzzled. I'm, I'll save my opinions for the last, but please go ahead. There's not much more to add. I think Alex has covered the, the shock, the surprise, um, I mean, it was a surprise and more in the sense that he came out and said that it's for sale. And uh, we'd heard the rumors, we'd seen reporters, journalists saying it, and we'd heard some, some billionaire saying that they've, they've reached out to Abramovich about this. Conor McGregor has joined uh, with, the, with the Twitter uh, army saying he's interested. So um, is it, it's something that when I woke up this morning, I didn't think I would be talking about towards the end of the day. Uh, but that's the world we live in and, and not ignoring what's going on in Ukraine. And we covered that in, the, in our last episode, but strictly sticking to Chelsea and, and our club here. Uh, it's definitely some news and, and breaking news that is going to change the landscape of our club for, for the foreseeable future. Now, we don't know when it's going to happen. Like, we, like he said, it's, gonna be, it's not going to be rushed. Uh, but a change is coming, a change usually that, doesn't happen quite often in football, at least at such a grand stage. So uh, everyone's going to be watching. Everyone's going to be seeing how this goes. And, and for us Chelsea fans, it's going to be something that we hope the next owner is passionate and cares about the club as much as Roman has. Uh, because we've seen from some of the other owners around the Premier League and the world that they treat it more as a business. And we'll get into the details of it. But those are just my initial thoughts. And, and um I guess you said, thank you, Roman. I, I can't say anything more than that. Yeah, I'd like to share just a quick sentiment because I've been doing a lot of reading, trying to understand because initial statements that we already covered was transfer, for lack of a better word, ownership or custody to the charity, which in itself was a puzzling statement. We discussed the, the necessity behind it, protecting Chelsea and things like that. And before I even get to my opinions on this, I think just the fact that he came out and made this statement. I think it's nice to have an owner, which we, we, we're going to get into his legacy here at Chelsea, but it's nice to have an owner that 
operates with transparency, which is an interesting thing to stay in this, this day and age with the amount of money going around and obviously issues in Ukraine. Transparency is a big thing, especially for the fans who have had him as probably one of the best owners in world football for the last 18, 20 years. And so I think he's trying to keep that relationship saying, I'm not going on bad terms. I just want to just be out there, be honest and let everybody know what's going on. But as I've been doing some reading and, and learning about this situation, and obviously take a lot of this with a, a grain of salt, because there's a lot of news out there. There's a lot of things that are true. There are a lot of things that are made up. There are a lot of things that we just will never know what's going to come out of this. But there's a lot of information about potentially there's some deals going on where he will be allowed to sell his assets in the UK so he can break off peacefully. And given what we know, of course, we never really know a human being inside and out, but given what we know over the last decade or so, guys, he seems to be a pretty amicable fellow. In fact, some of his political history as well, he's invested heavily in areas that he was governor as well. So uh, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. But like I said, we're going to break down and talk about some of his legacies here. Rahul, I'll come back to you first. What can you share with us? What would you like to talk about? Yes. So I think we have to start off with with the statement that broke around 1 p.m. this afternoon, Eastern time. Uh, And it starts off, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll read chunks of it, uh, similar to the last statement. And uh, it goes, I'd like to address the speculation in the media over the past few days in relation to my ownership of Chelsea FC, as I've stated before. And you'll notice this is a theme that he brings up a few times. I've always taken decisions with the club's best interest at heart. And in the current situation, uh, with the current situation, I would therefore take in the decision to sell the club, uh, as I believe this is in the best interest of the club, the fans, the employees, as well as the club sponsors and partners. So uh, that's kind of the opening of the state statement. There's more that follows into it, but uh, I think let's analyze it in parts and, and talk about you know what some of these things mean. So um, I'll start with you, Alex. When you hear club's best interest at heart, I think that's been his his motto and his goal from the beginning. Uh, so, what what do you what do you have to say about that? I certainly think I, I certainly think that's that's true to his word and and really how he's managed this entire club from the moment he stepped in, and that's no more evident than in the fact that he's actually, I believe, not trying to collect all the debts that Chelsea technically owe him. Uh, for the loans that he gave to the club, um, that theoretically the club would have to pay him back. Um, He has basically said the club isn't going to be expected to shoulder that financial burden, which was in the billions of pounds. Um, So no small thing there. And now, I mean, it it really does seem like this just made sense. Um, Now, I don't know if you would say from an objective standpoint, you could argue all day whether um, it's right or wrong or necessary or, or a, a media sort of PR pylon of how he was sort of pressured immediately given this, this Russia-Ukraine situation. Um, instantly, people sort of, I think, looked around for the closest proxy uh, to Russia in the UK and obviously having one of the most famous and successful uh, football clubs in the world owned by a Russian man. I think that made Chelsea a quick target. And Roman knew that he's a smart guy. Um, he was well aware of the backlash and the the negative press that was going to be heaped on Chelsea. I know as Chelsea fans, we are plenty used to having the media uh, pile on and try to dig up stories and create controversy uh, using Chelsea's name for clicks. So I think 
it's it is sad it's 100 sad but when he says the best interests of the club are at heart i fully believe him there and i truly think that especially because it's clear how much the club means to him and how much he's invested not just in his money um, but in his time and in his efforts uh, really building this this foundation of of fantastic world-class players that we've seen for decades now um, and i think to step away from all that tells you how much the club means to him because I don't think he took that decision lightly. So I, I'm, all I can say is props to Roman for, for getting out cleanly when it looked like it really needed to be done um, and taking a really tough decision uh, for the club's uh, best interests at heart. Um, yeah, all you can do is, is thank him for the way he's left, uh, which is just as nice as the way he came in, honestly. Yeah, and and I think you touched on on a few points there that Jackie, I'll bring you in 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 on as well. Um, but starting with the the best interest at heart, he used that phrase or those words in the last statement where he said, "I'm going to hand over to the uh, charity of trustees foundation." Uh, since then, we've heard that the 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 trustees, the six trustees that were uh, given the responsibility of the club. Uh, weren't too sure about how it's going to work. And so I think that may have influenced the decision to sell today. Uh, but Alex refers to the debt. It's been very clear that he's given Chelsea and, and given the club 1.5 billion close to that uh, pounds. He's not going to be taking that or saying, I don't want to be repaid. I just want a, a, a smooth sale of the club uh, and we can all move on. So, I'll get your thoughts on that and I'll bring Alex in, in on the, on the debt part at least, because it's, it's a large amount to just write off. Yeah. Look at, at some point, I think based on the statement, you've got to believe as a human, as somebody who's a billionaire, 1.52 billion is, I don't know, 15, 20% of your net worth. And on the grand scheme of things, 80% means, you know, he's another 10, 12 billion lying around there is, but it's a lot of money. You, you don't leave your money on the table as well. And so obviously, while it's the best interest of the club, it, it has to be for him as well, leading back to some of the statements I made about what I've read on, on the politics and potentially getting out with a clean break, as Alex has said. But I'm sticking to you know what's best at Chelsea for heart and taking aside of the fact that it's my football club, I love it. It is an asset, guys. It's an asset for Roman Abramovich. And so if at any point assets are frozen, what does that mean for Chelsea? Does that mean there's no operating expenses? Does that mean you cannot pay player wages? Does that mean you can't play the guys who fix the fields, the guys who do the kits, the guys that run the Chelsea website? I don't know how far the word asset is defined in not only politics, but in business. And so if, if he's releasing this theme of the best interest of Chelsea and, and, and reading into it the way I'm describing it, then absolutely 100% it's in the best interest of Chelsea for him to sell and so I think he's doing what he understands, not only for himself, because I think that you have to take care of yourself as a human being, but also for Chelsea. Yeah, and, and that's a great point where too often we think about it and we say, uh, what does it mean for us, the fans, right? We're like, Roman's leaving, we're going to have a new owner. What does that mean for the fans? But you got to think about the players. you got to think about Thomas Tuchel. you got to think about the academy players that are, are thinking about the next 15 years of their career. And they're here at Chelsea trying to break through. And now they see there's going to be an overall, most likely, in terms of the way things are run and done. And maybe not right away, but over time. Uh, so he And he refers to some of those groups. He says the club, the fans, the employees, the sponsors, the partners, which, of course, 
uh, again comes into the income coming into into the club with the sponsors. Uh, Alex, I'll bring you in on the on the second part of this statement where he says, uh, "All net proceeds from this sale are going to go into a charity that will go to benefit Ukraine." Uh, to me, that is the biggest statement of him saying, I am against this war, I'm against the situation that's going on, uh, without obviously saying it, because he is Russian at the end of the day, and he does have ties, like Jackie mentioned, uh, to to the government back there. What were your thoughts on that? Did you see it the way I saw it? Did you see it a different way? Yeah, I 100% think that's a, a powerful statement. And honestly, there's there's nothing really more, in my opinion, he can do or should be doing to make it clear where his stance lies and where his heart lies on that issue. Because you have, I mean, you have people in, in the English media, I've seen some ridiculous quotes that came out today of people saying, this is absurd. Yeah, he's selling the club, but he didn't come right out and criticize Putin. I, I mean, you have to realize that at a certain point that he's going against in, in, in this this charitable act, he's directly funding the currently direct enemies to his home nation. He's directly providing aid and assistance, probably in the in the multi millions of dollars, to a direct enemy, uh, self declared enemy of the Russian president, who he has known to have had a relationship with in the past. I mean. What more do you want from him? I think I think it's that simple, and it's it's a yet another nice charitable uh, gesture that we've seen. Because uh, if you recall back during when COVID uh, was really ravaging all of Europe, all of the world, including the UK, um, he opened up the Chelsea Hotel to house health workers. Um, he was providing care and relief packages to citizens. He was contributing a lot more than a lot of clubs a lot of billionaires, a lot of rich people, and a lot of, dare I say, the politicians who are now shaming him and trying to sort of turn this into a political issue, his ownership of, of Chelsea. Um, I, think, I think it's absolutely admirable what he's, what he's doing there, saying the net proceeds are, are going to uh, support Ukraine. And that's, that's all you can ask of him, because that's really a, a big statement of defiance. And lest we forget, those who defy uh, Vladimir Putin do not always end up in a good way. So I, I'm, I'm, not abs I'm absolutely not surprised that he hasn't come right out and said, oh, yeah, the leader of my home government is a horrible person and I'm completely against this. But he's frankly put his money there instead of his mouth. And I think that speaks volumes uh, just as well. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with you. And Jackie, when um, Alex mentioned some of the community work that he's done, uh, at that point, there was no... Roman Abramovich is doing this. It was kind of brushed aside. So it, it's an interesting, obviously, the media and, and ex-pundits and, and players and whatever you want to call them will cover it well, however way they get more attention out of this. Uh, clearly, we've seen on Twitter today, Shira and, and Michael Richards' name is all over the place, which is kind of what they would have wanted. Uh, but coming back to the net proceeds, and, and earlier this week, we heard about talks going on, negotiations between the two sides. I, I, don't want to get heavily involved in, 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 in the political side of it, but Roman's name came up as someone that was trying to broker peace and, and bring an end to this. And then you see a second part of it where he said, all my money is going to go into, all the proceeds, I beg your pardon, is going to go into 
benefiting the victims of the war in Ukraine, critical funds towards urgent and immediate needs of victims, as well as supporting the long-term recovery, because there is going to be a lot of recovery here. Uh, so did you see it that way too, kind of like the way Alex and I have been seeing it in terms of his support for no war? You know, absolutely. And and one thing I'll add at, at stirring this conversation a little bit away from the war piece and the political piece of it is, it's not something, in my opinion, that came out of left field. It is, it is a surprising thing that he said, but many people don't know, and I did not know this till this happened, was he is actually a longtime friend of a striker we purchased many years ago, which is Andrei Shevchenko. And where is he from? He's from the Ukraine. So there is a relationship with that side of the world. You can tell that they are different nationalities, but that friendship existed before he came to Chelsea. There were pictures of Abramovich attending AC Milan games with Shevchenko sitting by his side. He was one of his admirers. He brought him over. And you don't, you don't forget your friends is something I would say. You don't say, yep, you know, he was my player and I spent money and whatnot. There is a relationship with Ukraine. I'm sure being a neighboring country to, to Russia, he must have visited. It's not the first time uh, somebody would have done this, but I think it tugs at your heartstrings, right? Your, your friend has made an appeal, which we saw today with, uh, Andrei Shevchenko at Sky Sports and saying things about how to support. And I, I have to believe all of these things add in. And so I 100% hope and believe that this is a true story. And I believe that he's going to use selling what I truly believe is one of his biggest loves because you don't invest 1.5, 1.2 billion as a loan to a football club and expecting nothing back. But what he's going to get back, he, he's putting into the people of Ukraine. And I think that's extremely adm- admirable. And you're right. He, he even said in his statement, he said, I, it's always been about the passion and love of the game and Chelsea uh, ultimately. And so the the debt, the loans and everything that we've been talking about aren't important to me because I want to leave Chelsea in a position where they can continue to build off of winning everything that they won under me. So um, that's kind of in a nutshell, the statement. It, I wanted to get your reactions and break it down a little bit so that our listeners and, and people that tune in uh, can understand each aspect of it and, and not just uh, what the media reports. Um, let's talk about his time at Chelsea. So 2003, we've seen the videos. Uh, he's He walks in, he comes in and, and basically says, this is my club now and I'm going to take it to the heights that it has always wanted to be and, and hasn't made it so far. And it's that's a key point to to bring up is that Chelsea have existed for a long, long time before Roman came in. Of course, Chelsea elevated to heights that, you know, we couldn't have imagined as fans back then. Uh, But for rival fans, it's key to know that Chelsea have always been around. They've been a household name in English football. And um, we weren't born in 2003 when Roman came in. Uh, But let's talk about Roman here. He comes in, uh, buys a club from Ken Bates in in 2003. Jack, you have a little bit of a, a... background or story as to how he fell in love with the game and, and ultimately bought the club yeah i mean the story goes of course we will never know the true thing but the story goes that he actually attended a UEFA champions league game between real madrid and manchester united and you guys know back in the early 2000s real madrid and manchester united were stacked full of stars and they both believed in playing ultra attacking football and this game ultimately ended 3-3 I believe the original Ronaldo scored three goals on that day, a hat-trick. Man United scored three goals. And I'm sure for someone getting into the idea of football, sitting on the sidelines and watching a game like that, obviously your pockets have to be pretty well lined as well. But watching a game like that, the passion out of it, 
you, you want to feel that week in, week out. You want to feel that every day. And what better way to feel that with you at the helm of a club, you putting your stamp, your ideology, your visions at a club. And, and that's how it goes. Is the rest is history after that. Obviously, he ends up at Chelsea and he turns that club inside out. And one more thing that I've read about him, and we talk a lot about the players, we talk a lot about you know managers and things like that. But I think it was Zola that said he was there right when Abramovich acquired Chelsea in that early days. And he came back as a manager later on. And I think he says the training facilities that he went to and he attended as a Chelsea player when he left and came back was night and day. And so it's very easy, guys, to spend a billion dollars and buy all the best players in the world. But to then invest in the training ground and the Stamford Bridge itself and the hotels and the meet, everything around it. It's something that really goes to show his story and his time with Chelsea. Yeah, and, and you bring up key things that sometimes get overshadowed. So let's talk about Cobham for a second. Cobham didn't exist when he came in. We were training at, I think it's Imperial College's facilities. Uh, and Lampard's spoken about it too, where our trainings and schedule had to be aligned with the college's team and their schedule. Uh, Alex, you're in college. I, I don't even think you can imagine uh, having a, a professional club training at, at your facility and saying, we're going to go aim for the Champions League and, and, and try to win it. Um, so that's one thing that, like you said, Jackie, he brought about and, and, and changed. And, and Mourinho said that this is the first step to elevating Chelsea to the to heights of, of uh, being a European powerhouse. Um, Alex, we, we talk about trophies, right? And, and ultimately, that's what any club is in, in, in the sport to win. 21 trophies later, 19 years on, is that Roman's legacy at this club, which is all about the trophies, is it a little bit more like we're saying with the community, with, with Cobham, um, or does it come down to the managers hiring, the firing, and, and those things that have happened? I think it's, it's almost neat and, and well-wrapped up how, how is sort of rain i guess came and went in that yes we have fantastic success uh during the roman era as we call it um maybe we'll start calling it the roman empire um because we we achieved fantastic success on the pitch as you mentioned reached new heights that i think many at the club um would never have dreamed of just the the consistency and frequency um and prestige of the trophies that we were winning um, it, it, it really did take us to the next level. And absolutely, Chelsea really did have a great history that's often underappreciated by uh, bantering rivals before Roman came in. Um, but it, it would be foolish to say that his arrival didn't really kickstart the club to that next level of just being a true European elite club. Um, and I think when you have when you have those 21 trophies won under Abramovich, and then you, as you mentioned, look at those 15 managers that came and went during his, his reign, you say, you know, it was a tumultuous period. There were ups and downs. There were big wins. There were big losses. There were falling outs. There were, there were great legacies built. Um, for me, it's, it's almost like storybook where you have, you have him coming in, elevating the club to that next level. And then it's just ups and downs and climaxes and peaks and valleys. Um, but it's, it's all just a lot of fun on the whole, uh, broadly speaking for the Chelsea fans who, who go through this and are emotionally invested. And then 
what better way to cap it off than by winning the club world cup and completing Chelsea's trophy collection in its entirety uh, just before he departs. I mean, it's, it's pretty poetic there. So in my opinion, it really does read like a, a good, well-written chapter uh, in a, in a long history book of, of fantastic, fantastic times. Yeah. And, and you covered it well. It was not always rosy and not always about, about winning trophies. Jackie and I have sat here and said, why can't we have a manager that goes on and builds a dynasty? We thought that was going to happen with Lampard. Um, but every single time he's made a decision to fire someone, to buy a player, it comes back to his words that were in his statement. It was in the best interests of the club. Uh, and Jackie, when he first came in, Manchester United, Arsenal, maybe Liverpool were, were the three main players in, in the league. Uh, we barely survived to make it into the top four that season before he bought us. Uh, he comes in and changes the landscape, not just of Chelsea, but of the Premier League. Uh, and you and I started watching kind of in and around that time, maybe a little bit before. So for you, what is the legacy that he leaves behind? Apart from trophies and everything, is there anything more that you're going to say Roman did this? Yeah, absolutely. Look, trophies are the obvious, right? Because as a fan, you want the highs, like Alex has said. I want, I want to see that passion. You want to see me yelling at the, the theater screen when, when we're playing Manchester City in the final and lose my mind. Look, I want to do that. But I think ultimately that comes from the ground up investment. And those are things we don't see every day. But as I understand football more, as I do this podcast with you guys, things start to click. Rahul, you said we were training at a university ground. You're not going to get Cesc Fabregas and Diego Costa joining the club in that same season to come train at university ground when they don't have the facilities they're used to seeing at the likes of Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, where they have been there for years doing that. You're not going to get Mason Mount, Reese James, Trevor Chaloba. I don't want to miss anybody coming through the ranks if there is an investment in the youth system. You're not going to be able to get the women's winning so many different things if you don't give, and, and I know it's tough to say this, but equal eyes, equal finances to a certain degree to help them grow as well. And so you're coming into an uncertain time now because you don't know who's going to buy the club. Obviously there's just a handful of people that truly can afford it or a group of people, the elite group that can, that can afford it. Whatever happens from there, at least the foundation is set. You've got a fantastic stadium that's been heavily invested in, which means revenue can be built from fans coming to the club and fans are not going to stop coming because our, our ownership has changed. I mean, we've seen that other places from, I don't want to eat humble pie later on, but you've got that, you've got the training ground, which means you can attract the elite stars because not only do they want to win things, they want to train in the best environment. You've got an amazing youth system, which does two things, potentially brings people like Mason Mount through the club, which can go on and become superheroes for us. But for those that don't make it, we've made a lot of sales on some of these youth players. And I hate to talk about them because they are human beings, like they're commodities, but it's a business at the end of the day, right? That's what we're coming down to. He's able to transfer and sell off some of these younger players. And they've gone on to have great careers on their own. But that also adds an influx of cash. And so regardless of who comes in, the legacy remains. Roman Abramovich did all of the foundation here. I, as a businessman coming in, if I'm not going to be heavily invested in Chelsea to the point that Abramovich is, the club could potentially run itself. Maybe not have that influx of cash, but could run itself. 
Yeah, and from what you both are saying, it comes down to he's built a community which is just not about the men's team. It's about the women's team. It's about the academy. And he's turned it into a machine that has to win something at the end of the season. And it could be the Club World Cup, and that's all we win this season. But it's something that we haven't done before and we've achieved it. And I think that's going to be success and, and it's going to be breeded down from the academy to the men's team, to the women's team. And, and that's going to be something that stays no matter who the owner is, the, everybody wants to win and, and you come to Chelsea for that. Of course, things may change as we go forward because uh, we never thought we'd be talking about Roman leaving uh, a few days ago, but things happen. Let's let's just review some of the things that changed when he first came in. So in his first season, we finished second, made it to the Champions League semifinals. Uh, we saw the first firing under his era of Claudio Ranieri. In comes Jose Mourinho. Uh, I have... a. a kind of a quiz question for you guys. And it's, it's just one question. Um, a lot has been made about the signings that Chelsea have made under Roman, but there's one, and this is the first one ever under Roman that not many people may know about. So I'll open it up. Do either of you know who the first signing was under the Roman empire as Alex, you called it? I think I know the answer, but I'll give Alex a shot first. I don't know the answer. So you're welcome to take it. I believe we spent 16 million on Glenn Johnson, if I'm not mistaken. That is the first monetary signing. So that's the first first amount of cash that was paid. But there is a free signing that was made under the Roman Empire era. The first one was Jurgen Macho, an Austrian goalkeeper who was supposed to provide, be a backup to Carlo Cudicini. But unfortunately, he tore his ACL in his first week training at the club and never ended up making a single appearance. But Jackie, you are right. The first player that was paid in terms of a transfer fee to bring him to the club was Glenn Johnson. So so good job on that. And hopefully that educated some of the fans out there on, on, on the first signing. His first trophy for the club under Roman was the Carling Cup of 2005. Jose Mourinho won that. Um, he's overseen, as Alex mentioned, 21 trophies, the first league and cup double in 2010. The record signing has to be Romelu Lukaku. Uh, I'm going to bring up another question here. We talk about the 15 managers. There have been, I mentioned Jose Mourinho. There's been Carlo Ancelotti. There's been AVB. There's been Scolari. There's been Frank Lampard. Now Tuchel. And that's only six names I've mentioned. I'm, I'm definitely not remembering most of them. Uh, but opening this question to you, Alex, who would you say is the most successful manager under Roman Abramovich? Oh, well, I think certainly the first name that comes to mind when you think of a, a Roman era manager has to be Jose Mourinho um, because of how we started out, how we had instant success really uh, with Jose and then how he came back for another spell at the club. He really wrote himself into Chelsea's history Um so maybe, maybe on paper, he's, he's done the most you could say. And yet I would, I would say, call it recency bias. I think if Thomas Tuchel brings home a premier league trophy, now Jose obviously won three, uh, which is a big achievement, but he did not have that champions league win that Tuchel does. Um, and Tuchel then caught, capped it off with the super cup, and the club world cup. So in my opinion, I think you could still respect Jose Mourinho and say, maybe he's the most successful, but 
I think as soon as Tuchel brings home a Premier League title for Chelsea, conversations need to be had because at that point, I mean, then we just need to start racking up the numbers. But then he's got the big ones down, and that would be really impressive uh, having a manager. And we discussed earlier the idea of building a dynasty. You see some teams really building around a manager for the long term. If you get a manager who can win you the domestic league title and uh, the most prestigious title in Europe, I mean, that, that's, that should be all the faith you need uh, to invest in them and their success for the future. So honorable mention to Thomas Tuchel, but probably Jose Mourinho. <laughs> and, and that's fair. I think a lot of people would say the same thing as you did about Tuchel, but I think Jose Mourinho, and I know, Jackie, you have some, some kind words to say, so I'll turn it over to you. But for me, it's also got to be uh, Jose. Yeah, for me, it has to be Rafael Benitez. No, look, I'm just kidding. I, don't, I, I wanted to make this a little bit light, light humor. No, it has to be Jose Mourinho, guys. Look, you brought in a new owner who had a vision and wanted to change the mentality of the club. He did the grassroots. He's invested heavily. Who else? Rahul, you put up something on the Premier Chelsea about mentality. I'm not saying we have to win the game, but we cannot lose the game. And that, that shows you what he did for this club. And... While you look through, and yes, there were some bitter endings in his first spell and second spell, but you look at even after he was gone, the guys that won the first Champions League and all the trophies in between were his core group that he built with that mentality. In fact, I've all gone on to see managers that have struggled heavily and Chelsea kept winning. And you almost wonder, these guys were on autopilot, the Frank Lampards, the John Terrys, the Didier Drogba's, and, and he added some players in there that you know, Michael Essien added steel and, and loyalty, not only to Jose Mourinho, to, to Chelsea, and he added there. Michael Ballack regrets leaving Chelsea because he enjoyed his time staying there and had that mentality as well. And not to mention the Portuguese guys he brought in the first season that we were not scouting them. That's not something Chelsea said we're going to go pick up. Jose said, hey, I just won Champions League with these guys. Let's bring in the Ricardo Cavalier, who was a stalwart and mentality, and Paulo Ferrer, who played, like Aspilicueta, every position on that pitch when called upon. And so for me, Jose Mourinho did something important, which is change our belief system. And Frank Lampard, who again is another manager, has actually said this. He came in and changed everybody's mentality from we're an almost team to, look, before we get to the pitch, we've won the game. And every team since then, every manager since then, the, the, the club has carried on winning. So I think he has to be mentioned as the most successful manager brought in. Yeah, and... You, you both have covered it. I think there can be an argument for anyone but Jose Mourinho for now. That could definitely change uh, in the next few seasons or so. Uh, we've spoken about manager. Let's talk about signing. So there have been multiple, multiple signings, and I, I I've lost track of them. Uh, I think the, the figure that comes up is about $2.1 billion spent on players in the last 19 years. Uh, but there's got to be one that's near and dear to our hearts. Uh, not that I'm forcing you guys to pick one, but I kind of am. Uh, so, Alex, I'll start with you. I'm going to run through some names, and you don't have to pick through them, but just some of the signings that we've made. Didier Drogba, Mike Lessian, Balak came in, Aiden Hazard came in, Juan Mata came in, more recently Kai Havertz, who won us the Champions League last season. Uh, and I apologize for any of the names that I've forgotten. Some fans may say you're only picking some of the popular ones. Uh, but Alex, I'll turn it over to you. Who is your favorite signing under Roman Abramovich? Yeah, that is a, that is a very Maybe Pulisic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a difficult question. Obviously, I'm, I'm happy with Pulisic, but I, I was a Chelsea fan before. I mean, I've been a Chelsea fan since Pulisic was 
probably, I don't know, thinking about it, 12-ish years old or something like that. So I was definitely Chelsea first. And I've got to say, as much as all these names are really quite legendary, the one that just popped up to me too, a slightly more recent, was N'Golo Conte of that's, that's right. everything he's gone on to achieve and how amazing on the pitch and off the pitch he is. Um, for me, it's got to be Didier Drogba because – that was the player who actually got me into the sport in general. Um, he's the reason I started following Chelsea just because I happened to see Didier Drogba score a goal on TV and was like, well, he's wearing blue. That's my favorite color. Um, sounds good. What team does he play for? I'll support that team. So luckily I did not end up like an Everton or Leicester fan or something like that. <laughs> luckily, I, I picked the correct blues. Um, but I think Drogba, there's something special about that. And it brings in that Mourinho uh, link we were mentioning where I, I'd seen a story, I don't know about the truth of it, but I'd seen a story that Abramovich went to Mourinho and said, I could buy you Ronaldinho right now if you want, when he was right at his peak. And he said, I'll, I'll buy you Ronaldinho. I'll buy you whatever player you want. And Mourinho just said, I don't care. Buy me Didier Drogba. That's the player I want. And obviously Drogba went on to achieve legend status, culminating uh, in a fantastic uh, Champions League final performance. So for me, it's got to be King Didier, but yeah, that is a tough call with so many legendary names at the club. It, it most definitely is, and and I think Didier Drogba is has got to be one of the top two, if not the best one. Um, Jackie, is it Marcus Alonso for you, who seems to be now not only surviving a multiple number of managers, but the owner himself? <laughs> Look, it's an interesting one, right? And I think. I'll be very honest. Unlike Alex, when Drogba came in, it, it took a while for me to fall in love with Drogba. Don't get me wrong. As of today, he solidified himself as one of my favorite ever footballers ever to touch the pitch. But in that first couple of seasons, there were a little bit of you know, moaning, a little bit of issues. And so he, he didn't always sign out, stand out to me as, as that key signing, although we know what he had went on to become. One that sticks out to me that we signed and I, I just always look at it and wonder how did we, how did we pull this off was Ashley Cole. I thought getting Ashley Cole for, I think 5 million at that time and getting rid of another moaner at that time, William Gallas going back to, to Arsenal was something of a coup. And I know we're trying to relate this back to Bramovich, but ultimately he sanctions these deals because there is a, some money flowing back and forth. And Ashley Cole went on to be, and, and mind you guys, we played, I think Ezra Del Horno there, we signed him for her one, one season. We played Paulo Ferreira at left back. I think we had like uh, Essien playing left back at some point. Gallus so himself played. William yeah. Gallus was playing left back. So when he came in, and I think for a decade, nobody could get into the left back position. And, and mind you, we tried to buy players. They just could not get in. I think he stands out. And, and honestly, I have to say this guy's name because I'll shoot myself in the foot if I don't. When we were wrapping up that 2012 Champions League, most of these guys were coming to the end of the career. How we got Aiden Hazard to come and give us eight wonderful years of football. It's a story on its own. And at a time where, yes, we got a lot of money for the Champions League, but we finished 10th that season in, in the Premier League, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that. And Abramovich said, I'm going to you know, spend money on this 21-year-old boy from France. I trust you guys that you've scouted him. And, and look what happened with that. Yeah, those are some great, great names and bring up some great, great memories. 
so that that's kind of where my questions end for now. I, I may come back with some more. Um, but let's just touch on the women's team because that has been a fixture since the time Abramovich has been at the club. And he's been a big advocate of women's football. He has said, we've got to invest in them. We've got to support them. Because if we do that now, in a few years time, they will be where we want them to be in terms of equality with the men and stuff. So just looking at what the women have achieved under Roman's ownership, four league titles, three FA Cups, two League Cups or Conti Cups, and most likely a third one this weekend when they face off with Man City in the finals. So it's been success on both sides. And we've touched on the Academy. The Academy has won multiple trophies. They've had players come through. Uh, Mason Mount, we've spoken about Reese James and, and um, Trevor Chaloba. So guys, there's there's been a lot of good memories and good things that have happened. Uh, but we do have to now talk about the future because that is where we're headed. Uh, so I'll run through some names. We obviously don't know the details. We don't know the discussions going on in the background. Uh, but I'll run through some names and get your thoughts on on who you may think uh, may be a, 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 the next owner. So there's an interested party from L.A. Dodgers. He's the owner, Todd Boholi. And I, I apologize if I'm reading it wrong, who's expressed an interest in buying a Premier League club a few years ago. Now that there is an opportunity, especially for a club like Chelsea in London, he may be interested. Uh, there's a Swiss business tycoon, 86-year-old Hans Jörg Weiss, uh, who actually, before the news broke from, from Roman, had said that he had received a call, and he's talking to a consortium of investors who may uh, init- eventually make an offer. There's Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who's Britain's richest man, who's, again, in the past, spoken to a Bramwich about buying Chelsea. Uh, and most recently, like I mentioned on Twitter, and actually... He put out a video too. I don't know if you guys have seen it of him kind of sitting in the manager's seat and, and maybe being an owner manager. Conor McGregor, once again, guys, uh, is interested. Don't know if he has the funds, but that would be some, some time under him as owner. Uh, so Alex, I'll turn it over to you, your thoughts. And, and uh, I'm sure you don't have an answer, but you have a strategy of maybe adding your name to, to this group. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I have always thought, you know, I've always, I've always sort of loved Chelsea and the atmosphere around it in the club. And I thought to myself, okay, well, I'm not talented enough to be a player. So that's, that's, that's a foregone conclusion. Although I could probably. Wait, 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 a few episodes could, ago, so you would, you said you'd get more touches though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I don't <laughs> think I could lock down a starting role. I think I could get eight touches during a match. Um, then, then I said to myself, okay, what if I became Chelsea's manager? And then I thought that would take decades and decades of, of training and, and qualifications and working my way up the ladder. That would be very difficult. So then I said, easy. All I need to do is become a multi-billionaire and buy Chelsea. And then just like we've seen under Roman, Chelsea could have another owner, a continuation of the philosophy of, uh, valuing the club and the club culture and the fans and the facilities and everything over just making a profit. And I think that's a key thing in all seriousness that so many fans deal with. Um, I mean, you've seen Manchester United with incredible uh, protests against the Glazers. Uh, You've seen Arsenal uh, protesting heavily, heavily against uh, Stan Crunky, crunky. I don't know how to pronounce it, yeah, but right. 
so many, so many clubs are not blessed like we were to have an owner who truly put the club ahead of his personal checkbook. And that's something I will fully admit I completely took for granted. Um, when I also saw these rival Premier League clubs moaning and groaning about how they're, they're just being used as cash cows uh, for greedy owners, I thought to myself, well, that'll never happen to us. We have Roman Abramovich who actually loves the club and puts the club first. And what do you know? Some, some strange, strange situations have led to this. And now we are sort of up on the, up on the auction block. Um, I don't know. I don't know who's going to take over. If I had the money, you best believe I would be in there. So maybe that's still a long-term goal of mine. But uh, for right now, all I'm asking is that it's someone who actually puts the club first. And luckily, I think from Roman's statement where he said he didn't plan to rush the sale and wanted to find a good buyer, I have faith that Roman is going to do due diligence and make sure that even if things change a little bit, the core philosophy and club first, fans first mentality remains. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you. I think that's the only satisfying thing here is Roman's going to pick the next uh, owner and he knows what he's looking for. So um, hopefully that's something that serves us well going forward. Uh, I think your strategy was to collect 22 pounds from 135 million Chelsea fans globally, uh, which yep. would raise you, I think, 3 billion. And that would yeah. turn... Alex Mangola as the new owner of Chelsea Football Club. So you heard it here, folks, first. Alex is now throwing his name into the list as long as he gets funded by the fans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jackie, coming to you, is that is that the silver lining here? Is, is Roman uh, picking the next owner leaves us in good hands for the future? It's concerning. And I'll tell you why, because it comes back to my statements. At the end of the day, it's, it's a business, guys. I know he loves Chelsea but he has to get some of the debt back. He has to get some money back. And ultimately some of this money he's getting has to go to Ukraine based on his statements. And so he's not going to say, well, person A is good, but they give me a $1 billion valuation less than person B. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of steps involved here. So uh, the three guys you mentioned, Rahul, I, I don't know much about them. I can't speak to them, but I think maybe somebody who's more familiar with running a sports team, uh, Todd Todd Bowley might be a good shout. I have no idea if he's going to come in and and care enough to run the club. But like I said, Chelsea is a well-oiled machine at this point. So if it's somebody that's there and just wants to balance the books at the very least and let Chelsea kind of figure itself out by selling players, buying players, selling players, buying players, winning trophies, getting income that way, that might be a good fit. I don't know. My other option is we form the Premier Chelsea Consortium right here start getting our own investors and get on there and, and make a, make a formal offer as well. Hey, I, I would be fully on board. Alex, I can send you my 22 pounds right over Venmo in the next few minutes. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's, it's an interesting time. And I'm sure a lot of fans out there would love to have some kind of opportunity or some say in, in who it is. Uh, but we've got to trust that whoever comes in will be, close to if not as good as Roman and, and that's all we can hope for and pray for again it's not going to happen right away Roman said he's not going to rush it but you you anticipate it's going to be done in time uh, for the end of the season so that the new owners can can foresee the next transfer window uh, let's talk about what the future holds for some of the executives and and namely Bruce Buck uh, Marina Petr Cech, and I also want to touch on Thomas Tuchel and, and what his future may hold so uh, I think from what we've seen Bruce Buck and Marina have 
not stated or, or, or made a statement yet, but from what we're hearing in, in, in the media is that they most likely will not be staying under new ownership. So that's interesting because Bruce Buck has been here, I think throughout the whole time Roman's been here and Marina has come in more recently and been that transfer and, and football guru that for the most part we've, we've appreciated. Uh, I for one would like to see Petr Cech staying just because he brings some continuity from the last regime into the next one, along with his, his experience from his playing days. But Thomas Tuchel, you, you look at that, we gave him a new contract at the end of last season. He's in his first year of that, that new season and there are, is a new owner coming. And most likely that means, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that most likely means the owners want to bring in their own man or someone that they may have chosen for the role. Jackie, do you see long-term Tuchel maybe saying in the, in the summer, guys, I, I don't know where this is going. I'm out. It really depends, guys. It's a very, very tough question to answer. And, and I think ultimately it'll be answered by what the new owner's vision is. Is the new owner looking for a friend to come in and manage Chelsea? Because then obviously there's nothing you can do at that point. Is the new owner a true businessman that wants to take a step back and allow Chelsea to run as it is? Then Tuchel's going to stay because no changes to him financially. The club keeps running itself. Is the new owner somebody who likes to meddle in affairs? I don't think Tuchel may be interested with somebody standing on the sideline telling him how to do his job. So there's a lot of moving parts here, and it's, it's such a tough question to answer. So I'm not, I'm not sure where to go with that. But one name, I know, Rahul, you said Petr Cech, but Marina is a very, very powerful chairman for Chelsea, and I don't think that's her formal title. But a lot of news comes out for someone who's barely in the media. She's someone who's a tough negotiator. She's someone who makes great player sales. Because if you look back to who we had before, I think it was uh, Emanialo, Michael Emanialo. Uh, yeah. We weren't making great player sales. We were having poor transfer deals. And so she's flipped things on his head. Now, obviously, she's surrounded by a team. And it depends on what her relationship with Roman Abramovich is, what her citizenship is with, with UK and Russia ties and all. I have no clue. But she might be one that would definitely be worth saving in that continuity period, whether she's there for a year, eight months to two, to two years, I don't know, to help new ownership understand how she's kept this club and sales and things moving. And then at that point, if they're not getting along, at least you have some sort of, we say in the business knowledge transfer, it's not just picking up the club and just starting from scratch. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, I, I, we've mainly mentioned Bruce Buck and Marina. There's, there's more people in there that uh, are behind the scenes and do the work day to day. Um, so it's definitely going to be interesting. I mean, some of them may personally be like, you know what, we may need a change of scenery. We've been in this industry, in this business for a while. Uh, but again, for continuity purposes, it would be good to see them stay at least for a couple of years. Alex, your thoughts on, on Tuchel? I'm not asking for you guys to say he's going or he's staying. Just more from what you've heard and what you think may happen. Yeah, I certainly think, as you guys have both mentioned, that it is important that things aren't overhauled like crazy because the club is set up, as we've said, not on autopilot. I mean, Roman's been engaged certainly, and he's, he's helped, but as we've mentioned, it could almost run itself. I feel like, and we've seen recently too, with um, even before this, this Ukraine drama with Roman being in hot water uh, with 
the UK authorities and the government and having visa issues and not being allowed to be in the stadium. I mean, Roman hadn't been able to actually attend matches at his home stadium that he's been funding and developing and all this for quite a while. So in a weird way, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of sad how, how it ended up. And yet it, it goes to show that Chelsea didn't maybe have a very involved owner towards the end, obviously, due to all these external uh, political reasons and financial reasons and, and all, the, all the mess that comes along with such a large sort of business. Um, but I think that shows that Chelsea are successfully operating even without direct interference. And I think the last thing you want is to have someone come in and shake everything up. Um, because as we've mentioned, Roman really did build quite the foundation and you don't need someone coming in, ripping that to shreds and trying to start over. Um, cause that will affect things from the grassroots to the fans, to the players on the pitch and the results we get on the pitch. So Honestly, for me, the most important thing is just a smooth transition, which, as Jackie mentioned, means maybe keeping Marina around just to do that sort of knowledge transfer. I think we want to keep as many people as want to stay um, because it's just not. I mean, unless there's some grand, grand vision that the new owner comes in with, it's just not going to be efficient or helpful or necessary for the club to try to turn over every last position and every last method that we've used that has made us so successful. So honestly, for me, what I just sort of envisioned in my mind, Tuchel certainly I think is one that you would be, you would be really, really foolish coming in as an owner to try to mess with anything with the playing squad. I think you want to almost stay as far away from that as you can for a little bit of time and try not to affect the results on the pitch. Um, but what I'm almost envisioning, which I think would be a very, a very fitting, um, end to this sort of Roman era, uh, era. And obviously now this might be completely complicated uh, due to politics and, and visa status, which I don't think he's been allowed in the UK for quite a while. Um, but Roman said himself, he would love to come back to the bridge one last time and say goodbye to the fans in person. Now in my ideal fantasy world in which his visa isn't, isn't subject to scrutiny and the UK government isn't trying to lock him out, I couldn't imagine anything more fitting than him walking out on the pitch to a full ovation at Stamford Bridge, maybe with the new owner and giving a few words saying thank you to the Chelsea fans. The Chelsea fans can show their appreciation for him and then trying to just do a smooth transfer of power because it is, it is really difficult. And we've seen with Manchester United uh, to, to draw a parallel with Alex Ferguson. All I can say is Alex Ferguson handpicked his successor and hopefully we do a little better uh, than, than they did at replacing such a powerful and key figure in the club. You know, when you were painting the picture of Roman walking out with the new owner and kind of giving a few words, it brought me back to Alex Ferguson saying, your job now is to support the, the next manager. Uh, and we saw how that went. But just coming back to, to this, I, I mean, it's definitely a lot to be unfolded, looked at over the next few weeks, months. Um, the squad in itself has a few players that may be moving on at the end of the summer and may now look at, do we stay? Do we help support the transition? Especially like the likes of Aspilicueta, who's club captain, uh, doesn't want to leave the club at a stage where his experience and knowledge may be required. So there's a lot that has to be uncovered and discovered. The only thing that's left to be said is anyone that comes in uh, needs to 
obviously sort out the pitch issues uh, because the pitch isn't owned by Roman. It's owned by pitch owners like us fans, uh, John Terry, Frank Lampard, those kind of guys. So that's another aspect that they, that needs to be considered. But Stanford Bridge stays where it is thanks to the CPO and thanks to all the work they do. Uh, and hopefully whatever plans they have for the stadium can be done on the same ground because that's where we are and that's our home. Uh, it's a lot to to digest and unfold, and hopefully we've done it justice and covered it uh, to the best of our knowledge, obviously, but to help you guys out there understand, you know, what's going on and what may come with this. There was a little matter of a game that happened today, uh, which was the FA Cup game that Alex mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, traditionally, we run through the lineup, we go through the game, we go through the stats, we go through the performance. Uh, at the expense of making this over an hour and, and going into the details of that, Alex, I think you closely watched the game. Jackie and I were uh, not so lucky. So why don't you just give us a, a brief overview and how it went and anyone that may have impressed you? Yeah, it was it was not, I would say, on the whole, an impressive match, but we did get the job done. So we conceded very early, which I think after the Roman Abramovich drama, which really came to a head I mean, just hours before kickoff, it seemed like, oh, goodness, everything's going wrong today with a second minute header conceded off a corner uh, to Luton Town. Um, But the Chelsea boys did fight back, um, got that equalizer and were actually putting a ton of pressure on on Luton. Their goalkeeper went down with an injury um, during a chance for Romelu Lukaku that he didn't seem to get a touch on, which was a little odd, but Their goalkeeper went down um, with a non-contact injury, had to be substituted, and their backup goalkeeper, who actually was their third goalkeeper, because only the backup and the third keeper had been selected for the squad uh, today, put in some outstanding saves to deny Chelsea uh, going 2-1 up, at which point, as happens with Chelsea, we don't capitalize on on our chances up front, and then they came and scored against the run of play, uh, Malang Sar got caught out a little bit. Not really an impressive day from him uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And we go 2-1 down. Um, but then again, good fight back. The second half was brighter. Um, some substitutions were made. Christian Pulisic came on for hudson Adoy. Harvey Vale um, went on. And overall, the, the players showed the right response. Uh, quickly fought back, tied it up at 2-2 and then eventually got the winner. Uh, Lukaku directed a a nice little tap home to make it 3-2. So the job is done. Chelsea are through to the next round. It wasn't pretty. Um, I I wasn't particularly impressed, honestly, with too many players. I would say Saul made a good account of himself getting our first goal and and certainly showing continued improvement uh, from what we saw when he first came in. And Loftus-Cheek, who was actually played as a defender, as really a center back uh, for essentially the match was quite impressive. I would say considering the weird little positional switch um, and had a fantastic, fantastic uh, ball forward for um, I'm blanking on it now. I think it was Timo Werner's goal. Yeah. Timo. Uh, over the top. Yeah. So overall, I would say Saul and Loftus cheek can come out of this game saying, you know, I put in a good shift. I don't think, I mean, Werner obviously got two assists and a goal, one assist and a goal maybe. Um, Definitely heavily involved in in all three goals. I don't know if he had that last touch on the first one, but 
he honestly didn't appear to be having a brilliant game and yet he got involved in all three. So some credit is due there. And that's really all there is to say for me, because it was not a, it was not the kind of game that you're going to be looking back on in future years and saying, remember that three, two win at Luton town in the what fifth round of the FA cup or whatever. This was, this was done and dusted, win the game, progress, forget about it. And they got the job done. So no complaints, especially given the tumultuous nature of all the news today and how that, certainly may have distracted some players. Yeah, and, and that's a good coverage, and, and, and I thank you for um, keeping an eye on the game and, and covering it. Um, Jackie, you, any surprises of Loftus-Cheek coming out as a center back here? Yeah, look, he's a talented boy, guys. I think he's one of those that has a lot of composure, and I think when everything's against you, he's a solid guy. He's a big guy. I think he could hold his own. He can bully a lot of people in all respect to Luton a lot of respect to Luton because they scored a couple of goals, but it's probably a game that we could afford to play him in that position. But it's one of those where I think Alex is right. Probably the, the attention around the media notice that came out of Aramish may have caused this. Uh, some of the players had played 120 minutes. Obviously we picked a different team that's not used to playing together. I don't want to make excuses. Ultimately, Alex and I picked three goals for Chelsea to score. We scored the three goals. We conceded the two goals, which we did not predict, but all said and done, we're moving forward. It's tough times, but again, coming from what we saw at Liverpool to this, I think that's what's causing a little bit of the shock value. But hopefully we got some of the guys to get a good rest and we can come back and perform in the upcoming games. Yeah, I mean, like you guys have said, all we can ask for is progression to the next round, and, and then we got that. So we go into the hat for um, the next round with the likes of Man City, Liverpool, not Spurs because they were knocked out by Middlesbrough. <laughs> Um, but it will be interesting because it, it kind of feels like the Carabao Cup run where we were just kind of making it through each game and going into the next round and we made it to the final. So um would be nice to add another trophy here on, in, in the Roman uh, era and, and wrap off a good season. So we, the draw for that is tomorrow, uh, Thursday, and we'll find out who we face uh, in the next round. Our next Premier League game is this weekend. Again, we're not going to go into a deep discussion. I'm just going to get quick score predictions from you guys. It's Burnley away. Uh, Jackie, we kind of need to solidify top four at least before Roman leaves. So uh, do we win this game? I think we have to. I think we need to keep pushing on and at least get an improved performance. Burnley's not an easy side, guys. They like to sit deep and compact. So I'm going to go for a one nail and let's just get back to winning ways and keep a clean sheet. All right, Alex, how about you? Yeah, I think it's it's a little tough judging on the, on the Carabao cup final than to this game, because I believe there were nine changes maybe to the starting lineup, um, which is pretty extreme. So it's tough to expect the same team that put on that real classic performance, uh, the same mentality to come out when you have nine of 11 players swapped. But I think assuming we go back to a slightly more standard lineup against Burnley, um, having rested some of those, those stars who went, 120 minutes or, or most of the game against Liverpool. I'm going for a two nil win. I think, I think we'll get the job done. Um, it's good that our strikers both got on the score sheet uh, in Werner and Lukaku today, even if they weren't outstanding for the entire match. I mean, frankly, both Werner and Lukaku were catching a lot of criticism, certainly through the first half, just because they did, were not impressing they then found a way to make it make it count and uh, get their goals when we needed them. So 
that's good for confidence. And I personally am hoping for another Pulisic left-wing start um, because he was brought on with about 30 minutes to play as really a right wing back um, today, obviously not his ideal position. And, and that's fine. I mean, sometimes you just, you just step into the position on the pitch that sees the game out. And we went from two, one down to three, two up with him on the pitch. He was certainly helping out the attack a little bit. Um, but I want to see him back at his natural position, starting on the left, because we know what he can do to Burnley. We most definitely do. And I was just looking at Burnley's record here. They've only won three games this season. So uh, they're in a relegation fight, and they're going to be tough to to beat. But I think we can get it on 2-1. So uh, we'll be watching on Saturday. And I think from every game now on, from now on out, we'll be, uh, is this Roman's last game? Is this Roman's last game? game so there's this distraction that kind of wasn't needed but of course we understand why why it's happening so um that wraps it up guys there's a conti cup final like i mentioned uh, during the episode so wishing the chelsea women all the best uh bring it home again or keep it home in this case because it's been won by them uh, the last couple of seasons so uh wishing them all the best and and the men uh, as well And that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us at the Premier Shelves on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and Instagram. And if you're listening, please leave us a review on Spotify and or Apple. Uh, It will help us get noticed uh, by other fans and and grow the community, the Premier Shelves community. And maybe we can come up with the cash for for making a bid. But as always, send us your feedback, and we will be back uh, with a new episode. But until then, stay safe and up the Chelsea.